finally here. Uh, this is episode six of the Locker Room Guys podcast. Back off the Thanksgiving break. This podcast is brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. Be sure to check out the new caramel cheesecake donut. Seasonal. Uh, American runs on Dunkin'. Uh, I've been waiting for this my entire life. I almost <laughs> I almost made the podcast just for this. But today I have my, my most favorite guest, and so I'm sorry to the other guys, but Chase Bader, the lead singer of the best band ever, is here. <laughs> Koa. Chase, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Joey? Uh, I don't think I've ever been better <laughs> in my entire life. <laughs> and I, I kind of want this this whole podcast to flow so everyone gets to know you a little better. Cool. Uh, outside of your music, but I, I did I did gear some questions. Uh, so I might just run down the list if that's cool with you. That's totally fine. So um, number one, I've got uh, you guys have recently been rated by Billboard as the best band of all time. Like what's what's your reaction? You know, I didn't I didn't know that, but I'm I'm more stoked about that than knowing that we didn't win a Grammy this year. <laughs> so I'm really you excited. probably should have though. No, no, that's that's really cool though, man. I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing. Well, that's it's, it's not really a thing. Uh, you may not be number one on the charts. Well, we're number one somewhere in my heart. Cool, you're number one in my heart <laughs> without a doubt. Thanks, man. You always uh, like every time I see you, I just tell you, you guys are the greatest. And I bet you think I'm joking, but like I'm such a fanboy, it's insane. <laughs> it's it's good to have people that support you like that. So hopefully, I don't want to I don't want to blow blow up my ego too uh, ego too much, you know. Well, I think it's people like me that. <laughs> Like, that's my job to do that. <laughs> but I'll just continue asking you some of these. So, so like, imagine imagine you post a song one day. Yeah. The next day you wake up and you're, like, a YouTube sensation. You just have, like, like 20 million views on, on, like, a video or something. Like, yeah. Do you think that's ever, like, a feasible thing for you? I I mean, I would hope so. Um, I tell people that I think our music has a a pop element to it. Right. Um. And a lot of people may think that that's a bad thing, like having a pop esque element, and yeah. and all that we've always understood that to be is that it has popular aspects. It's not really like, you know, it doesn't have necessarily the sound of a Demi Lovato track or something that's labeled as pop music, right? Because that's more along the way that it sounds and the way that it's created. Um, I just think that our track, like our our music, has a an ability to resonate with a lot of different types of people that's absolutely true so i think that's i think that's why there's there's this underlying pop element in our music and the ability for people to understand it and, and put it in their own context so you know if that if we just have we don't have a lot of videos in general but if that were to happen that would be really cool that could really you know kickstart a lot faster what we are trying to do you know right so so how long have you like actually been making music has this just been a long-term thing for you yeah i've i started making music when i was um probably seven or eight years old i started playing drums okay um around that time and i played drums for for over 10 years and i've I've continued to play but i I played in a lot of bands and that was my my main focus um and then up until about seventh and eighth grade i started writing songs okay um and a, a few buddies of mine at the time, we formed a, a band and just started writing and playing. And um, we, we played at Field Day at my elementary <laughs> school. Uh, we, we did like a two day thing, which was really cool. Okay. Um, you know, we played some covers, but we the coolest part of that was that we learned how to write songs. Yeah. And some of them were, it's pretty fascinating to look back. And I, I have an ability to kind of remember a lot of the, the music and lyrics that I've written, even if. I haven't played it in a long time. I can mm-hmm. sometimes I'll hear a melody and be like, "Wow, that was that one song I wrote." That it may not have even been recorded, but there's something that just it's still in my mind somehow. Yeah. Um, in some of those songs, it's funny that like a seventh grader would have written uh, like concepts like that. And, I don't know. You might have been just a really, really dynamic seventh grader. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I, I, we had we. Had, I think the key to to Koa and and some of the bands that I've played in too. Is just having people that are super different, yeah, and kind of putting them in a room and see what happens, um, and a lot of creativity usually stems from there. So I think that's one of the cool um, aspects of the bands that I've been in. There's people that are so different from each other, yeah. So 
Is color like that? Do you just have a bunch of diversity? Because I was looking, yeah. I was looking, and I didn't see any black people. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you had one, and I, I don't know if that's just a shameless plug to get me involved in the band in some way. <laughs> uh, if you play keys, man, we're always we're always needing some keyboard. Players. I have to learn, but uh, <laughs> but like I wanted to ask you about like your your start in music yeah. because I think you guys are just phenomenal. Thank you. And so, at what point in your life did you say, you know, like maybe I was just made for this shit? Um, I had a moment in high school, um, and it's really cool cause I, I was fortunate to have a full circle sort of moment and, um, our guitar player, Connor and I, we, we met when we were pretty young in like fifth grade and started playing music around that time. Are you guys are from the same area? Yeah. We, it, it's in Alabama, right? No, I'm originally from Birmingham, but we grew up in Colorado. Okay. Um, so we grew up in Denver and we went to school together and then we ended up going to the same high school and we had formed a band. I... It was more like it was the band I was talking about in seventh and eighth grade. That was yeah. the band I had. Your field day band. Yeah, field day band. And uh we didn't really know Connor played guitar until freshman year of high school. Um him and I would always hang out in this music teacher's room and we would we would play through office hours, which was like the free period. Yeah. And we would play through and skip sometimes skip class and we'd get in trouble by the music teacher like she really pushed us to be talented musicians and kind of work through what we had already yeah because she was always like super mad that we would stay over and be too loud and so we kind of would would against her authority we were just like <laughs> we're gonna do this and it really forced us to to get better um but we had a band in high school um and we had there was this battle of the bands competition going on at this venue called the gothic theater yeah and there was a moment before we went on stage because it was a it was a big event. There were a lot of bands there, a lot of people there. And we had a moment downstairs in the green room where we both were like, "This is it!" Like we were like more nervous than I've ever been in my life, and we were both just thinking, "You know, this is it." Feels so like we're so scared. We're not sure what the outcome's going to be. Yeah, but there's nothing more that I want. Um, and we had the opportunity to go back and play the same venue with Moon Taxi. In November, dang, and that was cool because we were in the same room, and the feeling was just as strong. And it was cool because from that moment before, that was the last time I'd set foot in that venue, and then I come back with, you know, a moderate amount of success to where like we can actually there's a future in this, and and we've come a really long way. Um, that was a cool feeling, you know, being being in the same place so much. For, you know, further away from where I was and, and still with so much to learn. That was really cool. Okay. Um, so that was, I think that was a moment where like the first time that we played at the Gothic, that was the moment where I was like, this is what I, what I want to do. So I've sure. got, I've got two questions about that experience. Yeah. One, did you guys have a solid band name at the time? Um, in high school? Yeah. Yeah. We played in a band, uh, it was called High Noon Trill. Yeah, we it you was used the word trill in high school. Yeah, it was a very it was a mouthful. Every time we we said the name, nobody knew yeah. what the hell it was. Well, then 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 secondly, how did you guys did you guys do well at the Battle of the Bands? Then? We thought we did. Um <laughs> but the sound engineer recorded a CD of it. He he just had a, the ability to record a, a stereo print and we listened to it afterwards and it was so bad. <laughs> <laughs> there was there were a couple of moments where it was like gold. Like there was one song that we did. It was it was a three part harmony where yeah. the band cut and it was it was me singing with our our we had another guy that was actually singing lead. I was playing drums and singing, yeah. And then Connor was singing backup, and we were it's seamless. Like one of the purest notes I've heard in our history of that band. <laughs> and then the rest of the show is just shit. You know? It was really funny that. You know, there's these little gold moments, but well, I guess uh, I guess you win some, you lose some there. Totally. But uh, yeah, but uh, it, so how did you guys come up with the name for this band? Because some of my buddies and I, yeah. like one of my good friends Brian, we sat around like for like our intramural teams and like whatever else. Yeah, uh, like I didn't because we went we we aren't musicians, so like when we heard the name Coin, we were like, that's actually a band. Like, for yeah. Real. So we made up things like Elephant Revival has <laughs> been has been my. Uh, my intramural team for the past three years. Yeah. And, um, gosh, we had, we had another one firm handshake. I like that was this year's, uh, yeah. intramural team. So how did you guys come up with Koa? Cause that's not even close to like <laughs> most of the other band names we hear, like moon taxi coming out yeah. of Belmont. And that, that's, what's cool is like, everybody's got a story for their name. Like they have a cool story about their name. 
Um, with us, it, we have a, I mean, it, the name at first, when we first named the band Koa, it didn't really feel right. Yeah. I didn't really feel like that was the name. Um, but I went to Belmont my freshman year of college. Praise be. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Go Bruins. <laughs> and uh, Connor was still going to school at uh, UC Denver. Which okay. Is, um, you know, obviously it's in Denver. It's like the Boulder campus, but in downtown Denver. Okay. Um, and so he was going to school out there and we were keeping back and forth writing songs and he was playing with some solo musicians out there. I was doing some session work and just mm-hmm. playing with whoever. Um, and he befriended a concert promoter named Barry Fay. Okay. And if, you know, whoever, if you don't know who Barry Fay is, Barry Fay was one of the, one of the biggest reasons why the Colorado music scene developed. Okay. Um, he was a huge promoter back in the sixties and seventies and he brought everyone from the Beatles to Led Zeppelin to U2 to the Who to Denver for the first times. So. I hope he's not the guy like similar to the guy that like screwed over NWA. I just watched that. Uh, and I got yeah. so fired up. Yeah, I don't Barry know why either. I I watched that too. And Paul Giamatti is always that character. Yeah, he's always the pissed off manager that <laughs> screwed. Like he's he's in Love and Mercy, that Brian Wilson movie. Yeah, he's the bad manager in that movie too. I don't know what it is, but he was very Fay. I met him once, fortunately, but he. He was not. He was not like that. But he was very like straightforward to the point, like threatening sometimes because he was like, "This is the way it's going to be." And he got his way, and he really carved the path for the Colorado music scene. Um, and he took a liking to Connor's guitar playing and some of the songs that he had showed him that him and I had written together. Um, and so basically, he he had this opportunity to have a band open up for the Almond Brothers in Nebraska. Oh shit! Um, and that's that's one of my favorite bands and one of Connor's huge you know inspirations so we we were you know we didn't have a band at the time but we were just we were writing a lot and so we had some material so we were like how are we going to do this and so he he was like yeah let's do it and there was a week of time where him and i were like what songs are good enough and who's going to play and so he already had some musicians out there that he had in mind um and i was going to fly out there we were going to rehearse for a couple days and just kind of do it yeah see what happens um, but before that could happen, Barry needed a name to put on like the posters and uh-huh. do sort of press for. And he had a uh, a Koa guitar in his office, and Connor was like, you know, he had a, he had another name that actually a band in Colorado ended up using. Um, and then Koa just came to him. He's like, let's just name it Koa. And so he went forth with that. And you know, long story short, the the gig never happened. Oh, um, it kind of fell through and. Um, Barry and it actually taken his own life pretty soon after that for other reasons, unrelated reasons. So it wasn't in any part to do with that concert? No, he was just, he had back surgery and oh, was just okay. at the end of his wits. And he had, I mean, I think he just, as a, as a person, he'd kind of done all he needed to do. And I mean, he just had a lot that was going on that I don't really know what, what else was going on. But from, okay. from what I've been told, he just was at a period of life where he just felt like it was it. Um, so that was a huge blow for the music community and for us because we had developed a friendship with him. Um, so that, that kind of left us again at square zero. Like, what do we do? Right. Um, and so Connor ended up moving to Nashville because I was like, man, there's nowhere else that is better for what we were trying to do. And we can get so much better and, and achieve what we want to do here. So he ended up picking up his stuff and moved to Nashville. And pretty much from the day he got here, we started writing and that's where it really started. Because he goes to Belmont too, right? He does, yep. Okay. So so let me ask you this. So that was the name of the band, mm-hmm. but your covers are phenomenal too. I don't know if a lot of people have seen them, but they have the elephant on it. Yeah. What significance does that have? We always talk about the bigness of our sound and the bigness of just the band in general. Yeah. And um, people will ask what we sound like, and it's tough sometimes to you know, label it because there are, there are a lot of sounds and everyone is different, so they bring a different type of influence when people asked me what you guys sounded like i was just used like a bunch of adjectives like yeah incredible <laughs> like breathtaking right on <laughs> i think that would be good if you just wanted to yeah. say that I mean, <laughs> awesome um, we usually say rock soul um and that that i mean it came from being like oh we sound like you know like jam band meets the strokes meets and we, it just would go on and so we needed to kind of label it but the best way I've found to describe what we sound like is by using a big image. And that's okay. the elephant. You know, the elephant is the biggest land mammal, you know, and it's, it's pretty hard to miss 
an elephant. And especially when we have, we have a backdrop that's like 30 by 15 feet. Yeah. And so it's a big elephant and we call him Carl with a K <laughs> and he's, uh, he's got the logo on his head and he's the, just the big elephant with some mountains on the side. He's the elephant in the room. Yeah. He's the elephant in the room. And it's like, it's pretty hard not to notice that. Um, and you don't really have to describe the sound when you see that image. Okay. And you see like that. And then all the stuff that we have on stage is like, okay, what is this about? It's going to be something loud, something big. And, right. and I think it's a good way of, it's, it's like that, you know, you don't have to say anything. You just kind of look at it. And, so how do you, how do you guys come up with like what the covers are going to be? Because most of them look like they're done in watercolor or something. It's yeah, incredible. That's, that's what the beauty of having really different people in the band. Like okay. Connor's a really talented artist. So he's designed all of the, you know, in context with, with, help from us like he's designed the logo like the dancer logo he's designed the elephant um the the ep cover art with like the flowers okay. and the elephant him and a, another friend of his a graphic designer they put that together and we actually had our our friend and tour manager chris uh he drew the, he wrote the script so it's a collaboration like everybody is good at something that it sounds I'm like connor's good at. good at everything yeah he's pretty talented man and and you know that's that's what's cool is like there's no there shouldn't be a micromanagement of like oh i want to do this because i want to be in charge it's like whoever is the best at that you know you kind of got to find a way to let everyone win by by working together you know and it's things like that and yeah. in, in conjunction with the sound you guys have that make me think like if if you guys don't make it like as a band, like if you guys don't surpass Adele as like like whatever she is right now, uh, then music is just like not real, and you know this is yeah. all just fictitious. Damn, man, that's some. We gotta rise to the top. That's that's already the goal. You're already at the top. <laughs> like that was one of my questions too. Like I even have it written down. Oh, I was gonna ask you because they always do this in sports. Yeah, like I'm a big sports guy, big basketball guy, and they always say like, "What's your Mount Rushmore of, of uh, all time NBA players?" And I was mm-hmm. gonna ask you what your all time for musicians is bands yeah singular artists whatever because i've got mine i don't know if you want to hear it first yeah hit me what do you got koa (laughs) first probably in the and the george washington spot uh little dicky oh there you go (laughs) (laughs) yeezus Uh oh and the doctor yeah of course and that's that's i've been getting more into the the old school hip-hop since you know going back and watching that Straight out of Compton, I, I listened Get to a little fired bit, to up. It, but yeah, that and that was a actually rap was a pretty big influence in terms of structuring songs. Uh-huh. I listened a lot to like People Under the Stairs and um, a lot of a lot of West Coast more so than than East Coast hip hop. It's like Tupac, yeah, like stuff that was a little bit more, um, you know, it was a little bit more um, unfiltered, yeah. Know? Which was good. It's good to hear how people play with like internal rhyme. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I, I do a lot of is instead of, you know, combining stuff cleanly at the end, it's like there's a lot of interior rhyming that helps, you know, so you don't have to rely on a rhyme at the end of the sentence and stuff like that. So Yeah, and, and all of your music is like wicked deep. I don't know if you know that, <laughs> but I have to go back and listen to a song like four or five times that's before awesome. I even remotely scratch the context of what it is. That's and it might just awesome. be because I'm inept. No, 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 no. I think it's cool that you, that people take the time to do that. You know, that's the point. And I think, uh, as funny as it is, I, I'm hugely influenced by Passion Pit and the way that they take super sad concepts and really like unfitting concepts to the yeah. happy music they write. Yeah. That's it's such a conundrum. It, it's like really perplexing to me too. too. Yeah. But I love, I love that because it shows that like the lyrics should be able to stand on their own. Yeah. You know? And the, the way you, bring them to life with the correct music is another way that you can you know say something completely different so like in your top four though top four top four musicians of all time you're mount rushmore uh i mean it's it's pretty hard not to put the beatles up there that i was, had a question about them too i had yeah. i had you guys surpassing the beatles <laughs> <laughs> sorry paul um <laughs> no yeah that's they're huge that was when I first started listening to the White Album, yeah, um, that's when I really took songwriting serious. Um, so, do you guys are you compelled to do the amount of drugs that they do to to? Produce? I think I think that people should experiment in general because it's <laughs> yeah you know there's so much to learn out there. You shouldn't use it as a crutch, but it doesn't hurt in, right and learning new things. 
Um, they they obviously would attest to that to a degree. Those guys are a bunch of ballers, though. Yeah. So they could do whatever they want. <laughs> I think them. I'm I up until about three or four years ago, I hadn't really, you know, gone into the jam scene very much. But okay. Um, I really really got into uh the Grateful Dead and listening to Robert Hunter. Okay. And Jerry Garcia and how their combination of music and lyrics, like Robert Hunter was their sort of ghost writer. Yeah. And easily one of the best songwriters of the last century. Um, you know, just the songs they've written to, I think they'll, they'll stand the test of time and it's easy. Even if you're not a deadhead to understand the greatness of what they've written. Um, it's true poetry. It's really, really good, good writing. Um, and from there it was like, I got into panic you know, widespread panic and okay. and the way that John Bell writes is super, it's like, it's mystical, but it's very based in like that Southern sound, which, you know, being from Birmingham, it's pretty hard not to grow up. Like my dad got me into Skinner and, you know, I listened a lot to the Almond Brothers and JJ Gray and Mofro and okay. all that sort of swampy Southern rock that um, is such a huge influence on, on the band. You almost threw me off a second. I thought you were going to say it was Panic at the Disco or no, something. No, yeah. When you say, yeah, it's either Panic at the Disco or you just say Panic and people will be like, ah, oh, widespread, you know. <laughs> In the South, like, the Panic is huge. Yeah. So um, so I would say the Beatles. I would say the Grateful Dead, specifically sort of Robert Hunter. Okay. And the way that he writes. And, I mean, the band as a whole, but I really dove into the lyrics. Um, hugely influenced by Jack Johnson. Oh, yes. And a lot of that sort of you know, it's almost like it's a combination of reggae and, um, you know, more acoustic singer songwriter, but because that's the kind of sound I feel like you guys have a lot of the time is the easy listening stuff. Yeah. Like my mom loves your music. That's awesome. Like I took your CD, I dropped it off at home and she listens to it. Like, like OG cooks and whatever. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where that comes from, I guess. Okay. So Jack, Jack, um, and believe it or not, too, if you had come over in the morning, I was going to make banana pancakes. There you go, there you go, <laughs> and he, that's what's cool because he writes about super, you know, super relatable stuff. Yeah, and it's you know he's a pretty simple writer. He's got complexities and and how you look at it. You know, there can be you can read it deeper than it is yeah. if you want to, but it's it's pretty simple lyric, lyricism. Um, so I really was influenced by him. With his music, I just find it it's really hard not to love it. Totally. How do you not like Jack Johnson? Yeah, it's pretty hard not to smile when you when you're listening to Jack Johnson, you know, it's pretty and I think that's you know, I would I would kinda couple him and John Mayer together because a lot of people are influenced by John Mayer and Jack Johnson. Yeah. And it's it's weird how many people are afraid to say that. Because Why? I, I think there's this cliche about not liking John Mayer. That's what? kind of funny. Just just with musicians, because I haven't heard anyone that's like not a musician that isn't like all oh, John Mayer's. Yeah, crying. I think it's mostly with musicians because he is it's it's hard to deny the fact that he's super good at what he does. Yeah. You know, and it, I don't know if it's people just hate admitting that because they want to be that good or I don't know. But I don't I've know what there isn't to like fan. about him other than yeah. some of his tattoos. Or, you know, I, I people think he's you know, an asshole, but I don't know him. So well, maybe, but who cares? <laughs> I, I mean, it doesn't mean his music isn't good. No, exactly. Um, so I, I would couple those two together, like put Jack and, and John Mayer together. Yeah. And then I'm a huge fan of Otis Redding, especially. Oh, so old school stuff. I love, I love old school soul. So like Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, um, you know, anything from those guys to, I'm hugely influenced by Joe Cocker. Um, a lot of that okay. raspy sort of soulful singer sound um but i've i've been going back and just doing my homework with like early blues and early soul Uh and like stacks and chess records all those artists and you know studying the way they sing and just the emotion behind the way they sing um which has been super helpful because i up until you know a couple years ago i wouldn't consider myself a singer so what are you talking about uh, it's just been something that i've i've now look at i look at it as an instrument and i really work hard at it now but before, I would just kind of use it as a crutch to write songs. I think your voice, like, is probably like sixty-five percent of what brings people back to Koa. <laughs> like, your voice is incredible, Thank and I, even, I had even written that down too. So, <laughs> so because some some of the most most awesome people uh, that that have voices like Jeremy Clarkson. I don't know if you know the mm-hmm. Top Gear guy. No. Oh, old, yeah, okay. yeah, but yeah. he was like an absolute chain smoker. 
Yeah. And that's what like gives him that raspy sound. Have you ever thought like if it didn't have the health implications that you would just chain smoke to have a bomb voice like that? <laughs> I know I know that that used to be a thing. Like a lot of the a lot of the 60s and 70s and I mean, I'm sure rock and roll singers for years they would do that before they would record. Are you serious? Yeah, and it was it was like and you, and you look at any video of like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles recording and they're smoking they're chain smoking cigarettes and uh i don't know if i could i don't know if i could do that i mean i think it i i did for a time like i smoked for a time but yeah and it definitely i could tell it affected the vocal timbre but it it wasn't it's never something i would recommend but your your voice is so unique so how did it how did it get the way it is i I guess that's like a really just open-ended question yeah i think it's mostly from the influences that i have um just learning to sing by learning other people's songs. Yeah. Um, and then from there, just doing what is comfortable, you know, doing what feels right and just kind of opening my mouth and singing and just whatever came out from that, that's what it was. Um, and the more that I learned um, to to sort of control that and, and use it to my advantage, the more I started to be really careful about, you know, even – yelling in public like i'm if i'm at a sporting <laughs> event i'm not gonna like scream my head off and it's really tough sometimes because after shows you know you want to talk to friends that come out to your show and you know if if moon taxi's playing yeah know, they have such a killer live show that it's like i can't i don't want to like yell to talk to you you just like it's a different mindset trying to be really careful about about singing and that's oh you I'm, almost have to like conserve your voice totally. otherwise you just lose it drink a lot of tea and especially when we're playing like when we were on tour this summer, we played like 21 shows in the month of June. Um, so yeah. that's, you know, that's over the majority of the month and to try and like conserve the, my voice as much as possible when we're playing two to three hours a night, sometimes it's, it's you just got to be really careful. So. Okay. So, I mean, I think cause John Mayer had that issue too, right? Yeah, like he had to have Adele, like a big throat surgery. Yeah. Adele had that issue too. And I mean, I know Adele smoked, I don't know if she still does, but she had an issue with that. John Mayer had an issue with that. I think Pink even had an issue with that, like where they get these little tumors on their vocal cords. And it's usually from straining um, to sing, you know, whether that's singing improperly or smoking and singing, anything that can harm your voice. Um, can a lot of that on stage just be fixed with like audio stuff? Or is that like you just have to inflect sometimes too? And that um, With... With audio stuff, the reason why I notice that I strain is when I can't hear myself. You know, when you're on stage with six other musicians, it gets really loud. And we yeah. have, you know, a bass amp, a very loud guitar amp. Sometimes you have a keyboard sort of stage um, amp and a saxophone coming through wedge. And, you know, there's a lot going on. So it's hard to, it's hard to not you know you need to be able to hear yourself when you're fighting against instruments that are reproduced through you know loudspeakers so i find that i'll oversing when i can't hear myself to try and hear myself more through the wedge yeah and that's a huge problem and one of the reasons why a lot of people wear in-ear monitors so that they have their mix in their ears and they can always hear themselves okay and they're not having to compensate by singing louder to try and hear themselves because it just gets to be a point sometimes with some venues where you just it's just a wall of sound that's coming out and it's so hard to distinguish what yeah. it is. So just being really mindful of that is what I'm working on. Well, I'm sure you're going to do a fantastic job. Thanks. So, so let me ask you this because yeah. like a lot of people that listen to this aren't musicians. In fact, most people that listen to this aren't musicians. Yeah. So how does it feel like when you're on stage and you're playing and you're singing and you see like thousands of heads bobbing and just vibing to like the things you guys are playing because that's how it is when I watch you guys play. Yeah. How does that feel for you to know that people are just absolutely loving what you're doing up there? Oh, it's the best feeling. And it really, it really is. It's the reason why we do it to a degree. You know, we do it for a lot of reasons, but at the end of the day, it's to connect with people. So the, the easiest way to see that we're connecting with people is if they're smiling, if their heads are moving, if yeah. something about them is changed by what we're doing. Um, and that's super fun for us because, you know, we're on stage having a good time just playing together. Yeah. Um, you know, we just, we have a good time doing it. And so if, if we see other people having a good time, then, you know, it's successful. It's, a, it's what we set out to do. Yeah. Um, and we always say 
we always say to anyone that's, you know, contemplating booking us or whoever, you know, haven't heard us before that put us on a stage anywhere. And, you know, whether it's one or 5,000 people, like we'll win them over. We'll find a way to like get to them. And, yeah. And I think that holds true for a lot of the places that we play. It's just, you know, whether it's the music or the way that we approach just delivering it, it's very much about like connection between the audience and us. So, so I don't, you guys are absolutely perennial, just all-stars, especially <laughs> in Nashville. I don't know if it's like that everywhere else you go, but you guys are still in school, obviously. Yeah. So how is it when you, when you go to class, do people just freak out like, holy shit, Chase Bader's in my class? Uh, I had a funny moment. It was actually my, my younger brother. Was it me? Uh, I don't know. I because think was, if I had known you were in one of my classes, then I would have just had a panic attack. Well, we had a class. We had that ethics class. Together. You were in the back. I know, man. And I wasn't paying attention because <laughs> it was ethics. Um, my brother, my brother Charlie visited uh, about a month and a half ago, and he was on campus uh, touring the pharmacy school. Yeah. And he said that some girl came up to him and asked to take a picture with him. Because he looks, he looks pretty similar to me when he's got long hair. And this girl was like, you're in Koa, right? And he was like, uh, no. And she's like, can I take a picture with you? And I, I think he kind of like got freaked out. So he said, no, he's like, that's not me. That's my brother or something like that. <laughs> but he said it was super funny because this girl thought it was that him, you know, was me. So it was, that's, that's always really interesting. I thought that was really cool that people do start to recognize like individual members of the band. Yeah. Um, because I happens. had the uh, I had the bass player mm-hmm. in my uh, Ryan, yeah, dude, I had Ryan in my class, and uh, I was like, I, I would ask him every day, like, "How are you doing?" He's like, "Man, I just don't want to do this paper because like we're about to practice <laughs> and stuff." And I was like, "I'll do that paper. <laughs> 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 yeah. like, give me the paper. Like, I'll write it for you if you, that means you guys will practice more." I mean, I think that's what's always on each one of our minds is you know because Alex, our saxophone player. That he's guy's a, incredible. Amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, God. he's a classical sax major and he's always playing, um, cra- you know, just random crazy stuff. Like he, he did the Christmas at Belmont. Um, he's done that every year and he's, he's always got, uh, wind ensembles and stuff going on. And, yeah. you know, he's working and practicing so much for that. And then, you know, you'll talk to him and be like, Hey man, how's everything going? He's like, man, I just, so, you know, I'm just sick of this. I want to do music for, for us and just like be able to practice. <laughs> and it is tough to, to fit everything into the schedule, but it's so cool to see how much better yeah everyone gets because of the adversity that we kind of have to go through. Right. So, so again, a lot of people that listen to us don't do music. Yeah. So, so walk us through like what it takes for you guys to make a song. Like first, where does the inspiration come from? Yeah. And then how does it, come like writing all the parts so generally um generally the song starts i usually will start the song um i write a lot alone um i think i write the best alone i i need co-write like co-writing especially connor and i co-write the best um you guys go way back i imagine yeah that bond like there's a lot of respect in what each one of us does so it's really easy for us to to work on something um and so I generally come up with what I call the bones of the mm-hmm. song. And so I write, most of the times I write all the chords and I always write the lyrics, but I, you know, I'll, I'll generally start with like an idea of the chords and then write lyrics to that. And most of the time I finish, finish the song to a degree and then I will bring it to Connor and we'll sit down and he's super good at sort of editing because he doesn't write lyrics per se, but he writes a lot of melody and he'll write songs and stuff like that. Um, so we'll put that together and kind of hash out how the song is laid out, like how many verses, you know, where we go to the chorus at, if there's yeah. a bridge, like all the different elements of a song. And we'll we'll put that together and then we'll bring it to the guys. And it's crazy to see like when a song starts there and then where it goes to, because it's sometimes it'll evolve over one practice session other times it'll evolve over an entire year's worth of playing it. So will Connor like, like after you guys like get it all together and you start practicing, will, will the guys like the saxophone player or Connor just be like, "Hey man, like uh, I don't know how I feel about that part. I think we should change that." Yeah, like, totally. And that's what's great. You know, sometimes we can get a little too far out, and that can be bad. But yeah. everybody is, you know, Ryan, our bass player, and Alex are really, really good with melody and composing external parts that Connor and I didn't think about. Um, 
and Alex and Connor always find a way to make a really cool melody together. Yeah. Um, cause a lot of our sound is based on that guitar sax sort of harmony. It's so sexy. And it's, yeah. And it's awesome because it becomes something, you know, where it's, you can't tell sometimes whether it's guitar or sax or both. You can't, it's, it's just, it's just like almost like a vocal the way yeah. that it works together. Um, so there's that and the rhythmic element, you know, we always say that we have three drummers in Koa yeah. with Ryan, our percussionist, Will's obviously the drummer and then I drum too. So having that is super helpful at creating something that, you know, isn't stock. You don't have a drum beat that's predictable or, you know, it's, it fits, but it's lively too. It changes and it's, it's got groove and it's got, you know, punch at one part or something like that. And there's always ideas flowing, you know? Yeah. And it's really cool. It's such a collaboration. And the key to it is that people realize their strengths. You know, yeah. I don't know much about theory. I've learned a small amount. <laughs> yeah. And I know that'll help in the future when I start to sort of focus more on that. But I know that if I have theory qualms with the, with a the song, like if there's something that I don't really know where to go. Yeah. Ryan or Alex, two super fluent theory guys will be like, oh, we could play, a, you know, minor six here instead. And that would really help resolve it or something, you know, like take it to the the high, you know, they, they do a really good job of knowing what we're doing. Cause sometimes I feel like I'm doing what I feel and what sounds right, which is, you know, as an audio engineer, what sounds right is the most important thing. You know, there's all this technical data you can do, but as long as it sounds right, you know, what it feels and sounds like. And so I'm really good at that, but I don't really know a lot of what I'm doing sometimes when it comes to the chords. So <laughs> yeah. You know, and a lot of times it's like a cool, happy accident. You just discover something that sounds really cool. And this this sounds incredible because if you listen to your music, it sounds so fluid. Yeah. And I, I don't even I don't even know really how to describe it except it's it's really easy listening. Cool. But it sounds like there's a lot more science and just really articulate thought behind it that other people just wouldn't think about. Yeah, I mean it's 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 all intentional. Yeah. You know? There's a lot of there's a lot of at the at the initial stages. There's a lot of improv, like improvisation to yeah. discover where we want it to go, and just kind of free floating ideas to figure out what it's you know what I'm trying to say or um, whether there should be a solo or whether you know whatever whatever it goes into a song because yeah. it's always different. But um, there everything is there for a reason. Yeah, and that's what's the beauty of playing it live is because we can take that and we can do so much to it or we can keep it the same or we can you know break it down and do something completely different for a section and it, yeah it, it allows for us to be an exciting live band because we write material that's already what we want it to be yeah you know, we have a roadmap per se and we can kind of go off that if we want to and that seems to be translating extremely well because you guys like where did you guys all go over the summer Cause you were touring all over the yeah, place. We I almost everywhere. caught you in North Carolina. That would have been really cool. Where, uh, like in Raleigh or something like that. Yeah, I tweeted at you guys. I was I was with my girlfriend and uh, we're in like Elon. Okay, something. it's like it's near Raleigh. It's outside of Raleigh. I almost caught you guys playing at like That'd a little cool. little shop or something like that. Yeah, but uh, you guys played like a bunch of universities and stuff too, right? You played yeah. like the University of Alabama. Mm-hmm. We've played a couple of fraternity and sorority shows down in Tuscaloosa. Um, we're actually about to go back there in January and play down there. Um, but yeah, we did a lot of college stuff. We did, um, we went west. We went to Colorado and played um, some shows out there. We played in yeah. Fort Collins. We played at actually Connor and I's old high school. They built a new theater out there. Okay. We played a really cool theater show. Um, we went to Austin, Texas. Um, we did that in May, and then we played ACL in the in the fall, which city was, limits or whatever. Yeah, Austin which city was limits. Huge. I mean, that was a huge deal for us. Um, we got to go to New York City. We played there twice. Oh, um, that was really cool. We played in Jersey. We played in uh, pretty close to Philly. Um, we played in Chicago once. Do they all run together? Most of the time, like we did, we did a string of dates. It was kind of like, we always joked about it because we'd be like, "This is the tenth leg of tour." Because like <laughs> technically, a leg is where you yeah. go out and then you you're gone until you finish your shows and then you come back. And they call one offs like. You could have a one-off weekend where you're going to two different cities in the same weekend, mm-hmm. but it's a one-off because you're not staying on tour. You're coming back home afterwards. Um, so for us, we'd have these legs of tour where we would be gone for a week and a half, and then we come back for two days, and we go out for another week, 
or in May we were gone from like May 2nd until the 25th or something like that. Yeah. And we were gone for a good month and the same thing in June, but we'd have a stretch of three days. We'd be in town and then two days and then we'd be hanging, you know, we'd, it was always changing, but we played consistently from May until July. Um, and then we did, uh, another two week thing in August where we went to Chicago and went up to, you know, to Philadelphia and went to New York again and then into New Jersey and then back down to, uh, North and South Carolina. You guys are all over the place. Yeah. We tour a lot, which is great. That's what we want to do. But, but like on these tours and these shows, like I know, especially with like, if it was like Justin Bieber or something, you know, (laughs) like those guys are playing songs that are just like absolute panty droppers and stuff, especially (laughs) for like middle schoolers and stuff. I don't know. But if you guys, your music is pretty chill, so I don't know if this translates, but you guys, have you guys like got bras and stuff thrown at you like on, uh, on tours and stuff? I don't want to get you in trouble or anything. No, but... no, you're good. Uh, no, we haven't. No, we have not. No? No. Man, that was such an underwhelming question then. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping to hear something. No, we, 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 we play to everyone, so, you know, it's always different, different environments. We, you know, we just, we get a lot of cool reactions. We get yeah. a lot of people that all come up to us and say, you know, and it's, it's cool to see older, um, people, whether, you know, we've, we've played, we played for veterans one time. We played for the Gary Sinise, uh-huh. like he does this Lieutenant Dan weekend, um, for disabled veterans. We played, it was the first arena show we'd ever played. Yeah. And it was in Charleston and we played with him and we played with, um, Johnny Lang. Okay. And we, I mean, we played a pretty short set. We played like a 20, 25 minute set, but, we got to meet a bunch of veterans afterwards that, you know, some of them have PTSD and, you know, there's a shelter there or there if the lights affect them or if like the loud noise, like the bass frequencies kind of upset them, they can go and kind of chill out and, and kind of get over the, that yeah. episode. And um, there's a lot of disabled veterans that, you know, they've served either since Vietnam or they've. You know, they were in the first Gulf War and, and these people like they don't have a lot of opportunities to go out and see music. And so to be able to play in front of an audience like that was super, super like humbling. And to meet the people afterwards was I mean, they're super nice people and they they genuinely just want to have a good time. And that's the that's what our goal is anyways, to yeah. to reach people and change them in, in a positive way. And so to play for people like that is like that's yeah. why we do it, and and that's always really, really good feeling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So so when you're when you're composing, and I know you guys said that you appeal to like everyone. Yeah. But when you're making a song, do you say like this is our target market for the song or something like that, or you're just your music in general? Not Cause really. Because you definitely appeal to us. Yeah. But inherently, you like appeal to my mom, which is weird. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's still good. I mean, my mom loves your music. That's so. awesome. So. Yeah, do you, do you like gear it towards like a certain group of people, or is it just because it's hard to make music? I feel like that everyone would love. It is, and it's definitely not. I don't know if it's more possible than a band like the Beatles. I think the Beatles can make the you know most um, loyal punk rocker. They'll find a song they like that's made by them. Yeah, or like a classical musician could find a Beatles track. They love, and I think, um, um, I think the key to making music that anyone can like is that you write music that you enjoy, mm-hmm. um, and that's good, you know. And that's that's subjective, but I think that if you can strip away everything that goes into a song, and you can play it on a piano and a vo- and have a vocal, or yeah. play it on an acoustic guitar and a vocal, and it still translates and it still is as moving and powerful, mm-hmm. then you got a good song. And I think that's what we try to do. You know, obviously we understand our demographics. You know, we play colleges a lot because yeah. that's our age group and seemingly the group of, of people that resonate, you know, pretty easily and like it a lot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, there's a lot of parents that come to our shows and there's a lot of grandparents that come to our shows and, you know, people that are just really different. And a yeah. lot of the jam scene really likes us too, because of our ability to stretch out, um, so I think to, to answer that, I think we just write music that appeals to us and that we like, um, because we know that if it reaches, if we're happy and it satisfies us, then 
there's going to be somebody else out there that likes it too. Yeah. Um, and as long as we're playing honest music that we believe in, then we'll be able to reach, you know, an audience. And it's, it's definitely like a, a trial and error kind of thing. We'll, we'll write new songs and we, that's, what's great about touring. And I tell bands that are, that'll ask for advice. You know, what are we, what should I be doing now? And, um, you know, what is, what have you learned from tour and stuff like that? And the yeah. biggest thing is that like, you can do anything. You can try out new songs. You can try out new ways to talk to the crowd. You can try out new merch options. You can learn a lot about yourself. Like there's so much you can learn from tour and from going to different cities and playing for nobody to playing for really different crowds that you can't learn from staying in Nashville and playing the same venues over and over, yeah. and over again, trying to develop an audience. Like That's important. But you got to find a way to, to do something creative and think outside the box to, to continue to keep people interested. Um, and that's hard, you know, it's hard to do, but I think with our music, we know what the audience is that we, that generally comes to the shows. Right. But I think if we just continue to do what we like to do, um, they like us for what we do already. Yeah. So just continue to get better at doing that. And I think we'll, we'll have an audience. That's awesome. Cause I know a lot of rappers, yeah. like when they, uh, like as they progress, they write about and they rap about what they see. Right. So a lot of times they write about like what they're, uh, the way them coming up, their struggles and stuff. And then yeah. it just turns into, to girls and money. And yeah, they go a different, and I'm, that's something that as a Coldplay fan, I'm looking at <laughs> where they are now and it's, yeah. it's frustrating because I know a lot of people feel this way too. And there's probably other bands that, this has happened to, but their earlier music is so good. Yeah. And then they go to a different sound and I, I don't dock a band for trying new stuff and, and experimenting with sound because that's super important. You can't do the same thing. Um, but that just seems like a fundamental loss. It is a fundamental loss. It, that, that's what happened with like, well, Kanye is kind of like that now. Yeah. Is, is new stuff's like really ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there's nothing, there's nothing that like cements, like it's almost like they're trying to get away from what they set up because they they don't want to continue to do the same thing. Yeah. So they kind of distance themselves from what they sound like and I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an, I've I've never gone through that, so I don't really know what that's like. And that's something that's kind of scary as a writer because, you know, you write a really good album and you get good attention and then it's like you got to write the follow-up. And I hate that mentality that people put on it, but it's the truth. You know, you got to write something that's as good, if not better. And so how do you do that while staying true to what you do as an artist? And I mean, we haven't crossed that bridge yet, but I would hope to someday, you know, if that's, if that's the next struggle, I'll take it. You know, that, that just means that people like what you do. Yeah. I mean, so, so what is next for you guys? I mean, you guys have obviously started, you started touring, you've got, you're getting a bigger following. Um, I imagine that the next step for you guys is just bursting through the stratosphere of like, we're the best band of all time type thing. Yeah. And then I don't know what progresses after that. Is it like a presidency type thing for you? Like, <laughs> do you start campaigning <laughs> like while you're on tour? Or like, but, but really like, what are you guys hoping to do? Cause we're seniors now. Right. So yeah, I'm about to graduate in like a week. So what is the next step for you guys? For us? Um, uh, I don't think we'll ever really stop touring. Yeah. Know, we'll have moments probably where we're working more on a record and stuff like that, but yeah, just continue to build markets in other cities. Um, do you, you have know, any overseas? Not yet. Uh, I'd like to go to the UK. That'd be cool. Or Australia. We have friends in a, a band called Jacoby that's from Australia. That'd be cool to play with. Does that mean something? I don't know. I've never asked them. Is uh, it like an Australian word that Maybe like we just don't have. Maybe it is. I, I forgot to ask him. We played at a festival with, with them and um, we almost played a Denver show with them, but they, I don't think they had like passport issues or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think just continue to tour, um, continue to work with, with artists that are doing what we like. Yeah. You know, like bands like the Revivalists that we're playing with on Thursday. I know you guys like worked with the Decemberists too. Uh, no, no, no you didn't. I thought you guys like opened up for them or something. No, we've, op- we're about to open up for the revivalist. Revivalist. Maybe, maybe that's who you thought. I don't know. But we played with Moon Taxi and that was amazing. Um, you know, bands that we really look up to and bands that, um, do their own thing and do it well. Yeah. You know, we'd love to, we'd love to 
help and and grow our audience by playing with bands like that. Yeah. Um, and just developing our markets in those cities. And the biggest thing is like also creating music at the same time. Yeah. And we've already been looking into doing a full length record because the EP was what we needed to sort of lay the foundation of this is what we sound like. Like the, this is Koa one. Yeah. Because so is that the first one? That's the second one, actually. Is that the one you guys just released? Mm-hmm. I would listen to that before you came over, and it was incredible. Thank you, As man. always. <laughs> That's See, that was the one that, when people see us live, they listen to that afterwards, and it's honest to what, what they saw. Yeah. Whereas Cool It Down, you know, that came out a long time ago. How long we, was that? Because I... 2013. I still jammed to that thing. Which is cool. Like, there's still so much of our sound in that, but there's not there's not the full representation of the band. You know, yeah. There's no sax. There's, there's no, um, percussion. So it's, it's hard to not hear the other members when it's gotten so much better. And, you know, if you see us play live, we do still play all that material. Yeah. So you'll see those songs, but in the context of like what we sound like now, and it's, mm-hmm. it's just better, you know, and it's still true to what it is. So I think, you know, from here out, it's just playing all the time, um, building our, building our audience and, um, we're playing Hangout Music Festival in May. Uh, we just announced another festival called Rhythm and Blooms in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah, here. Uh, I think we need to wrap this up anyway. So hit him with yeah. hit him with the plugs for like what are you guys playing? So you doing, said Knoxville. Yeah, we're playing the Rhythm and Blooms Fest in Knoxville. Um, it's in April, the first first or second week of April. Yeah. Uh, we're playing Hangout Music Festival, which is a big music festival in Gulf Shores, Alabama. That's the end of May. Yeah. Um, and f- we're just going to be touring a lot in the summer, trying to do some bigger dates and, um, playing in Tuscaloosa in January. Yeah. Playing with the Revivalists on Thursday and we're playing at the demo in St. Louis on December 19th. Okay. So. Okay. And is, is there anything else you guys need in terms of, you said, uh, someone on the keys, you said you always need new keys <laughs> players. We're playing with our buddy Ian and Ian is super talented. He's, um, he's one of our favorite um musicians that we've ever really played with yeah and he's he's so good he plays with like mu- the muddy magnolias and this band called the downtown band he's he's always playing he's getting prostituted out all over the place <laughs> he's such a good guy and he he brings a really amazing life to the band and um you know i'd love to have him be a part of it yeah as much as he can so but uh like do you guys need anything in terms of like touring help yeah i'm trying to get the word out yeah man we're always looking for people like from where they're from. So yeah. if you, if you got a hometown venue or you have friends that throw house parties, okay. Um, hit us up, let us know. And if you want to be a part of the street team, like when we're playing in a new town, mm-hmm. that's the most difficult thing is getting people to the show. Um, so if you're down to help spread the word, email us, hit us up on Facebook, whatever, because we need all the help we can get to start growing this, you know, in other cities, the coalition, the coalition, and I, I think we're going to close it out. And I, I want to thank Chase for being here. Thank the, you for having me. The best me, guest I've ever had. Great questions, man. You, you did a good job interviewing. A lot of people stick with sort of the subliminal, easy to answer questions. I like Well, that. I had better questions, but you said I wasn't allowed to ask. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, thank you so much for being on. And uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one.